Hi everybody, welcome into the Irish NFL show uh, presented in partnership with Trust to provide all of our equipment. Uh, big welcome back to Pro Football, Fo- Pro Football Focus podcast host and lead analyst Sam Monson. Sam, what's the crack? Uh, you were on around the Super Bowl. Uh, welcome back in and have you been up to much over the last few months? Yeah, I mean, I was saying, I tweeted out the other day that the NFL calendar never stops. You go from preseason to regular season to postseason to free agency to the draft. And then we get into list season, which is the last couple of months, you know, which is just endless rankings of everything. Like the the time period in the NFL calendar where theoretically it's it's dead, nothing's happening. So that's when you break out all the rankings which feels like it should be easy, but those things are a giant pain in the ass to do. So it's as, it's as hard as any other time of the year. Um, Sam, I, I know um, you've, you've spoken about um, the, the Browns on, on your podcast, but obviously last season, after a 17-year absence, under a first-time, first-year head coach, they go back to the playoffs. Um, what do you make of the, the moves in free agency and the draft, and, and what are your expectations for the Browns going into the new season? Yeah, I love them. I think the Browns have had one of the best off seasons of any team in the NFL. They're funny because there's such a holdover effect, this lingering um, thing of they're still the Browns, right? And we've all been through the last 20 plus years of the Browns basically being a joke and the butt of the NFL um, for years. And I think if you if you just isolated the team, if you took away the label, you know, if you if, if it became this white label franchise now you know and you just remove all branding from them and said this is the team that's about to enter the 2021 nfl season what should they be expecting you would be saying they're a real super bowl contender they're right there with the tampa bay buccaneers with the kansas city chiefs um they're obviously slightly differently made up and they don't have the quarterback necessarily that those two teams have but they have a good enough roster like they're the Browns and the Bucks probably have the two best rosters top to bottom in the NFL. And, you know, they might not have Tom Brady, but Baker Mayfield, I think, is capable of a pretty good season. The problem is, I think there's still so much of a drag factor from the last 20 years of history of them being the Browns. And we're all just kind of waiting, you know, will it happen or will they find a way to collapse and blow the whole thing again and, and have to rebuild once again from the ground up? And it's just... It shouldn't happen. There's no reason it should. Like, they're making smart moves left, right, and center. I love what they did in free agency in terms of hammering the secondary, their, their big area of weakness last year, continued into the draft. I think a guy like uh, Wusu Karamoa is potentially an absolute steal. Might not, you know, factor year one just because of the way that position is translating to the NFL now. But long term, I think it's a really smart move. Um, but, you know, there you just have that lingering fear that, the other shoe is just waiting to drop. Sam, from, from Kevin Stavansky, who's had a very successful start to his coaching career, to another coach who's had a quite a difficult two years in, in Vic Fangio in Denver. Just um, in terms of the division itself, it's a very difficult division, but a lot of people think that Denver have a very good stacked team there, with the exception maybe of the quarterback position, which has been speculated in terms of trade. What's your expectations for Denver this season? Yeah, and it's a big exception for them because, you know, the, the two teams that I just mentioned, the Bucks and the Browns, maybe one and two in terms of the best rosters in the NFL. If you separate quarterback, Denver's there with them. Like Denver's roster is absolutely loaded. The skill position players on offense are insane. The offensive line is pretty good. The defense under Fangio is fantastic. So if they can just find viable quarterback play, Denver are a contender. The problem is, I don't really see where that's coming from on the roster right now. And unless they swing a trade for Aaron Rodgers, which I, I don't know if it's really likely given, you know, that it hasn't happened yet, essentially they're in trouble. Like Drew Locke would need to take a massive step forward from the first couple of years, which, you know, is possible. I mean, we just saw Josh Allen do the same thing um, last year, but there isn't really the same degree of optimism. I think for Drew Locke that there was for Allen, like, a lot of analytics and a lot of people were poo-pooing it, but there were a sort of hardcore group of people that were saying, look, Allen is already getting better and he's made strides here and he's been working all off season with this mechanics coach that's fixed things and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you hear that about a lot of players, but there was at least that buzz around Josh Allen. And then it all became true. And we saw this giant jump forward in performance. There isn't really that buzz about Drew Locke. Like there, there aren't the stories saying, 
you know, this is him fixing the thing that's ailed him. And, you know, he's primed for this year three breakout. It's, it, there isn't that tone about Drew Locke. So I don't know if that's going to happen for him. And then Teddy Bridgewater is coming off the worst starting season of his career, which was a little bit of a surprise to me in Carolina. But I think it does probably change your perception of like what you think Bridgewater is capable of. I, I would have said before last year, Bridgewater had a shot at giving you viable starting quarterback play after last year. It's tougher to make that argument. Um, Sam, you mentioned about quarterback play there, and we all know the importance of a viable starting quarterback. I mean, the poor boys with the Broncos obviously had a game last year where they didn't even have a starting quarterback. And I'd be one to say if you include um, Driscoll and Ripian and Drew Locke, they probably had 16 games where they didn't have a starting quarterback. But um, while there's no buzz about Drew Locke, there is a hell of a lot of buzz around one quarterback move this year. Matt Stafford going to the Rams, people putting two and two together with McVeigh's formula, with the wide receivers they've got and coming out with 10 zillion uh, points effectively for him. I mean, I'm just wondering about your take on the Stafford situation. And actually, I want to throw a couple of names like Baker Mayfield, you mentioned, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins. Like, how would you rank him against those quarterbacks in that? arena yeah I, I think the Matthew Stafford hype is getting a little bit silly like Matthew Stafford is a pretty good quarterback and has been a pretty good quarterback throughout his entire career and almost every single year you get a run of three or four games where Matthew Stafford looks like an amazing quarterback and then that stops happening and he goes back to being the guy that he's always been and there's a group of people that look at him and he's like the poster child for physical tools and for can-do at the quarterback position. And because he was a number one overall pick, there is always going to be this hardcore group of fans that look at him. And he genuinely has one of the two or three best arms in the NFL. Like it's Mahomes, it's Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Matthew Stafford. Those, those are the guys, right? So he's right up there with those other three, but unlike those guys, he's way more inconsistent and always has been right. And has always made way more mistakes than certainly Tom Brady um, than than Aaron Rodgers, than Russell Wilson, even more than Mahomes, to be honest. Um, and yet now we're expected to believe that it was all the Lions, right? Because the Lions haven't been a good franchise. It's all their fault. And he's never really been put in place with an offensive mind, the genius of a head coach. And now we're going to see the full realization of the potential that he's had since 2009 or whatever it was when he was drafted. This is going to be the year. Um, I just, look, we're, more than a decade into this guy's career and the chances of him suddenly the light switch going on and us getting like peak Stafford, you know, this sort of limitless cartoon version of what happens when like you only get the upside and all the bad disappears. I, I'm just not buying that. I don't think that's likely to happen. Now, Sean McVay's system probably is better than anything he's had with the Lions. So I think there's a good chance that his numbers improve and we see him have, you know, statistically a very good season, but I, I think he's like, the mistakes are inherent. Like those aren't going to disappear. He's still going to make errors and still going to cost his team in certain spots. And I just don't think you're going to see this transcendent um, quarterback emerge from the ashes of his Detroit lions career. Like we've been through at least three or four different iterations of, you know, Jim Bob Cooter has fixed Matthew Stafford. We've, eliminated the bad things we've found the good it's this is the connection we've been waiting for that's happened like three or four times and it always goes away again right we get eight games of that and then Stafford comes back and then it's a different problem and the next guy comes along and fixes Stafford like it probably just isn't happening right there, there are inconsistent quarterbacks there are um, quarterbacks that always have that about them. And Matthew, you know, Jay Cutler was a lot like this, right? Had some of the most amazing physical tools in the NFL, but was never able to put it all together. And every year there was this hype train that was saying, this is the year Jay Cutler puts it all together and you're going to get this great high-end starting quarterback. Now, Stafford is better than Jay Cutler has ever been, but it's the same idea, right? That The idea that this is the year he puts it all together. It's probably not a smart idea to chase that endlessly. A bit of the Sam Bradford factor as well. You're saying being the number one pick and trying to change it every year. Yeah, I think, I mean, guys that are former number one overall picks and have physical talent are extremely hard to get rid of, right? It's very difficult for the NFL to give up on those guys as they, you know, they, they're always going to look at them and think, 
what is, why can that guy not be Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL? Like when he's, when he's on, he's right there with them. So why, why can't I eliminate the bad and get that level of peak play out of them? It's just, it's very difficult for NFL people to convince themselves that that's probably never going to happen. Like the, the NFL is full of coaches that look at a guy, see the flaws and think, well, I can, I can fix that. Like, I understand what the problem is. And he's got the things that I can teach, right? He's got the arm strength. He makes freaky sidearm throws that him and Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers can do. Like, I can't get a third round quarterback and teach him how to do that stuff. But I can teach Stafford, like, you know, not to throw the ball at a linebacker. Like, I understand the misread on this play that caused him to do that. I can fix that. I just think that there's like the NFL is sort of built with this level of almost hubris involved where coaches sort of see the problem and think they can fix it. But a lot of the times that's just not something you're going to change. I mean, some of the things that PFF data has shown is that the kind of your propensity to make mistakes is one of the most stable numbers year to year in quarterback play. Like it's the most predictive thing. It's just something that's inherent in you. And sure you can, play around with it and you can make their life easier and you can tweak it with the scheme. But if a guy is like prone to just screwing up to, you know, mental lapses to those mistakes, that's pretty endemic. It's not something that, that changes. It doesn't, you can't coach that out of a guy. It's just part of who he is. Staying on quarterbacks, um, we've seen Big Ben struggle down the stretch last year and he's obviously restructured his contract. They've got their running back in the draft, but do you think Big Ben is in for, a good consistent season or do you think he might start to decline a little bit this year? I mean, I think he's, he's been declining for a while now. And that's the big concern is that he would have to reverse course fairly significantly to, to jump back to any kind of high end big Ben play. And now he's got to do it with a completely reworked offensive line in front of him. And they basically got rid of the entire offensive line and have tried to patch it all together and, you know, a few of those moves you can kind of you can make an argument for in isolation, like David DeCastro was injured, probably wasn't going to play anyway. Uh, Marquise Pouncey was graded terribly last year, you know, wasn't even playing well at center. And even even by the standards of he's been massively overrated if you actually watch him play for, for a number of years. But just having to replace that many bodies on an offensive line in one offseason, it's not going to be good. Right. There's almost no way that all of them pan out and you end up with a, an above average offensive line. So there, it's very difficult to look at that offensive line on paper and see that it's not going to be a problem, which is going to make Najee Harris's job more difficult. That guy's supposed to be the savior of the run game. It's going to make Roethlisberger's life more difficult. They need to push the ball deeper down the field than they did last year, where he had one of the lowest average depths to target in the NFL. If that doesn't go up, they're not going to make enough big plays to offset, you know, the, the inefficiency that, the Roethlisberger declining is going to have. So, yeah, I, I think the Steelers' offense could be in for a rough year unless Roethlisberger does something, you know, truly remarkable in terms of reversing the direction that his career is in right now. I mean, so it's not often that a, that a one in fifteen team, especially coming off the back of uh, fifteen uh, losses in, in a row, generates kind of real buzz going into the new season, but. I suppose the emergence of James Robinson and then look the box office moves in terms of Urban Meyer bringing in, you know, Trevor Lawrence and uh, Travis Etienne. What what are your thoughts around um, the Jags and, you know, given the division, especially that they, they're in, it's not particularly strong. What do you think they're capable of? I think the Jags will be really fun to watch this year. Um, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is one of the best quarterback prospects come along for years, but just the things that Urban Meyer is talking about doing in terms of these hybrid players. And I mean, you know, even Tebow is a, a tight end, like, but, but more Travis Etienne bringing him in and practicing him full-time as a wide receiver and talking about, look, absolute worst case scenario. He becomes, you know, a running back. That's a really good receiving threat, but best case scenario, he becomes the Curtis Samuel, the Ohio state Curtis Samuel in this offense where he can, play wide receiver and move into the backfield and become a matchup nightmare for opposing defenses. In addition to James Robinson, in addition to LaVisca Chenault, who's already in the building, like these are guys that are kind of built to cause problems for, for defenses in terms of just how you deal with them as a treat them in terms of positions. Um, so the fact that he's got like a fairly long history of that kind of thing 
in his college offenses. You know, Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin with Florida. He, he went through a, a sequence of those guys at Florida of using them in really creative ways and different positions all in the one game um, and causing teams like legitimate problems. So if he's planning, it, it, it feels like because he's been doing it for like a decade or more, in fact, significantly more, um, it feels like an old idea, but it isn't really. It's still kind of cutting edge in the NFL in terms of taking receivers and putting them in the backfield. Like teams have been splitting running backs out wide for years and, you know, tight ends and those kinds of things. And that doesn't really cause NFL defenses that many problems anymore. But taking a receiver and putting them in the backfield still causes all kinds of issues for NFL defenses because it completely screws with how they've treated that guy um, from the moment they stepped on the field. You know, the defense is matched up with them from a personnel standpoint in the huddle. And when they break and the personnel is somewhere they're not supposed to be, it causes issues because now the extra defensive bank that you've got on the field is now part of the run fits. And that's something he's not used to doing. He's not very good at doing, even if he is used to it. Um, and it's a potential place you can, ex you can exploit. You can even, you know, screw around with motion pre-snap and essentially manufacture and, and like substitute the players that are going to be uh, in the box and, and part of the run fits. So uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of excited about what this offense could be um, and hope that they just don't screw it up basically. Sam, 12 months ago, general consensus was that Daniel Jones was on the upward curve. You kind of fast forward 12 months and there's a narrative. This is a make or break year from, I read a, a very good piece recently by PFF where they felt the stats in particular the second half of the season didn't back up against what we what people the general opinion is. Do you feel it is a make or break year and do you think it will come good bearing in mind the players they put around them this season? I think it is a make or break year and I kind of feel a little bit sorry for him because that offensive line looks terrible on paper. Like it's right there. I mean, it's, it's arguably worse than Pittsburgh's. It, it has the potential to be a, like a complete Achilles heel for this offense and you know, that would be bad for any quarterback, but it's particularly bad for Daniel Jones, given the flaws that he has as a quarterback. Like, I agree that I think that his his season last year, like a lot of people just point to the touchdown numbers. Right. And it's like Dak Prescott had as many touchdowns in four and a half games as Daniel Jones did all season long. Therefore, Daniel Jones sucked. Um, Jones was way better than the touchdown numbers. And I think he actually played pretty well last year, considering all the things around him. And it was a step forward from where he was uh, a season ago. My concern would be that he needs to take another step forward and the offensive line is just terrible. So Jones's flaw is, you know, a little bit of a, an obliviousness in the pocket, takes too many sacks, holds on to the ball too long, is careless with the ball when he does that and fumbles it a lot of the time when he's getting hit in the pocket as well. So you know, if the if the offensive line is going to be a problem and he's going to be dealing with collapsing pockets all season long, he's going to put the ball on the ground a bunch. And it's just that's that could undermine everything that he's doing from a passing standpoint, in addition to making his life more difficult from a passing standpoint. So, yeah, I think it is a make or break season for him. And unfortunately, they may be setting him up to fail. Um, and, you know, he could be a guy that ends up washing out in New York and you end up two or three years down the line getting this Daniel Jones resurgence somewhere else where he gets a shot in a, a situation that's better for him. Um, Sam, you mentioned about offensive lines a couple of times there and look, give me a good offensive line any day of the week. I mean, we saw in the Super Bowl, it, it matters fundamentally um, and can be the make or break for you. Look, there are some class offensive lines in the NFL as well. You think of the you know Ravens in terms of the holes they open up in that dynamic run game. The Browns have been developing great offensive linemen for years, actually. They've been led down by others, and they, they have a great O-line at the moment. And and the Titans, arguably, although how much of that down Derrick Henry is another matter, I suppose. But thinking on the Chiefs and thinking of the surgery they've gone through this offseason, I mean, yes, we know the big trade for Orlando Brown. Yes, obviously the big free agency pickup of Joe Tooney. But, you know, they're expecting to get, hoping to get something out of Carl Long coming out of retirement. They've got Laron uh, Duvernay Tardif coming back from his opt out year, who was developing nicely at guard there. I mean, how do you rank some of those developments and changes? And, you know, what's your view on how that's going to go for them this season? I think the moves they've made have been good. Um, and I like the fact that they've sort of prioritized 
certainties to a, a large degree, like Orlando Brown for a first round pick and the money they're going to have to pay him, the, the big money for Joe Tooney. I like the fact that they've essentially said, look, we need these things to hit. We can't go into the draft and try and find a guy in the low first round and hope he succeeds. We actually need this guy to be good. Um, and I think that's probably smart because of how much they were going to do in terms of turnover. Their hands were forced a bit by injuries. You know, Mitchell Schwartz, who knows what his status is. He's, he's nowhere near being back yet. Um, Eric Fisher tore his Achilles in the AFC Championship game, so he's going to miss time at the start of the season. You couldn't rely on him. So you, your replacement, you end up needing to replace almost an entire offensive line. And as I said before, that's just difficult to do. Um, now, it becomes easier if you're replacing them with much sure things than guys that may or may not hit. But, you know, the data says that, that there is something to offensive line cohesion. You know, the idea of keeping the same unit together for an extended period of time. And anytime you need to just have a big amount of turnover on the offensive line, it's problematic. And I think the data says something like it's worth like a tenth of a, a point against the spread for each guy you don't carry over into the next season. Just the act of changing it is a risk. And it's a risk that's like measurable in terms of the Vegas point spread um, for games. So the Chiefs are going to be up against it, hoping all of that hits. Um, but I think that two things go in their favor with that. And one that they, they have, I think, targeted good and relatively sure things as players. Like even a bad year from Joe Tooney or Orlando Brown is probably still above average viable play on the offensive line, which is all they're shooting for. Um, and two, like Patrick Mahomes, he'll stress an offensive line in terms of dropping too deep in the pocket and running around a little bit instead of, you know, inviting pressure a little bit, but he'll also make up for a lot of bad uh, plays on the offensive line. Like he's well capable of scrambling around, getting himself out of trouble, making plays in the face of pressure. So I think he can deal with an offensive line that isn't great it just can't be abysmal the way it was in the Super Bowl. We're going to try and do one quick question each year, Sam. Obviously, we massively appreciate your support, and it's great to see the growth of the game in Ireland, especially over the last six to 12 months. But as an Irishman who's gone to the US uh, and made his name, obviously, in the NFL profession, how did it feel to be interviewing, please God, a guy in tag leader who could be uh, you know, in the CFL or NFL, please God, in the next few months? Yeah, it's very cool. Like I've, I've been kind of talking for years about this idea of, rugby players making an impact in, in the NFL in terms of kicking, punting, all that kind of stuff. Like the, the league has been scouting and targeting Aussie rules kickers for decades, right? Um, to the point where those guys typically now are, are in the U.S. before college. You know, they're going through the college process and then getting into the NFL. They ha I don't know why there hasn't been such a big pathway um, from rugby, except potentially because we're talking smaller numbers right and certainly obviously in ireland there's way smaller numbers than aussie rules but you know if you incorporate uh, england the uk france there's a lot of these guys that could be doing things and you know leaders I, I think a really interesting case study he's a guy that's already broken out like trick plays in the spring league where he's been playing you know kicking off with a drop kick all that kind of stuff there's a bunch of creative things i think that these guys could be doing and yeah absolutely I, i'd love to see that guy um, make it onto an NFL roster. I know Twitter loses its mind, Sam, when you say Aaron Donald is the best player in the NFL, but I, I'm with you on that. But interested in maybe if you were, and I know on the podcast you were talking recently about like starting a franchise and, and picking, but like if you were choosing between peak Donald and, and peak Watt, what, what, would, what would your thoughts be? And what do you think JJ is capable of this year under Vance Joseph's tutelage with the Cardinals? It's actually very close. Like peak, peak J.J. Watt was right there with Aaron Donald. Um, by that point, J.J. Watt was kind of transitioning to being more of an edge rusher, which I think inflated his numbers a little bit. Um, like typically edge rushers get more pressure than interior guys. They get more sacks as well. That's why, you know, the guys at the top of the all-time sack list are usually edge rushers or primarily edge rushers. Um, and it's sort of, depending on the number, it's like, 60 to 75% of the pressure that an edge rusher gets is what interior guys get. So for Donald to be like consistently leading the league in pressures and sacks as an interior lineman is insane. Um, what at that point was sort of transitioning to being primarily an edge rusher, he would still line up inside, but most of his pass rushing snaps were now coming 
from an outside alignment. So the peak numbers in terms of like what I think still holds the, the record in terms of total pressures in a season, I think he had 119 one year, just like I think Donald's peaked at just over 100. Um, I would say that's that number discrepancy is basically the difference to that is the, the amount of snaps that he was lining up outside. But I think like peak Donald and versus peak Watt, there really isn't much to separate them. You would either one of those guys, I think, is an all time great. The only difference really is that peak Donald is now lasting longer, you know, and he's gone on uh, for a much longer period of time than JJ Watt has. The injuries haven't struck him and he's able to keep on trucking. JJ Watt's career kind of got derailed by those injuries. Um, and we got to see what he has left in the tank. I'd love to see the Cardinals move him back inside primarily, like put him back as an interior pass rusher, forget playing on the edge anymore, because I think he has lost some of that explosion and some of that just raw burst and speed around the outside. But his numbers inside recently are still pretty good. I think he would still be an elite interior presence and pass rusher. I just don't know if he's still got the juice to do that as a, a pure edge rusher anymore. Sam, as we approach re, um, training camps, um, is there any particular players that you feel are floating under the radar, whether it's a free agency acquisition or a, a particular draft player that will make an immediate impact, whether it's in training camp, pre-season games, or just at the start of the season? I'm really curious to see whether Irv Smith takes this big step for the Vikings. You know, that Kyle Rudolph leaves town, Irv Smith, in theory, is now the number one tight end there. But the Vikings haven't really loaded up their tight ends, even the number one guy, with that kind of volume of targets like Irv Smith's numbers, if you just sort of scale them up are right there with the best tight ends in the NFL, but he's dealing with like half the targets, less than half the targets of a lot of these guys. And even if you combine the number of targets that Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph had, you don't even get in the same kind of ballpark of, you know, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller and those kind of guys. So I, I'm curious to see how much of a workload the Vikings will give him or if they'll maintain that split that they had with Rudolph, except now it's with, you know, a Tyler Conklin or whatever, because I think Irv Smith has like the physical tools to put up some pretty special numbers. I just don't know if that offense is going to give him the shot to. Sam, just one final question. Um, obviously you've made a great living for yourself with uh, pro football focus and pro football focus made an amazing business over the last while with their analysis of players. And I know we covered the approach and the detail taken the last time you were on with us at our Super Bowl show. But we also know players feel really passionately about rankings. I mean, we hear them moan about Madden every time from time to time. And I'm just curious, like, have you any stories on players approaching you or PFF generally that you can share about their rankings or their perception or opinions on yeah, on players, rankings? Yeah, players, they care a lot about rankings. They, clear, they care a lot about stats as well, even beyond the grades, I, particularly defensive banks for some reason. I don't know if. I've just been unlucky with the people that have been going for those numbers, but they're all defensive backs. I used to get almost like a weekly DM on Twitter from a couple of defensive backs that would like say, Hey, I had two pass breakups in that game. You've only got me down for one and you'd have to go through the plays and figure it out. And a lot of times, like we, we classify these things slightly differently. So if you didn't, um, if you didn't actually hit the football, we call it something different, which doesn't show up as a pass breakup, but you still get a, a positive grade for it. So a lot of them were like, yeah, we, we you know, we've credited you with that play. It's just, it's not going to come up as a pass breakup, but yeah, like players will campaign and, you know, lobby for stats after games. And thankfully I've moved to a different area of the company now, so I don't have to deal with that. I just punt them in the direction of Ben, uh, Ben Stockwell, who now has to suffer through them. But yeah, for quite a number of years, you would get a couple of players lobbying for a different stance or a different grade on a certain player or whatever it is. Offensive linemen do it a little bit as well in terms of sacks and that kind of thing. Like, Hey, you guys have got this sack on me, but like, look where the quarterback is or look what, what else was supposed to happen. And you got to go through the play and coverage is obviously the other big one where that happens all the time. Sam, can't thank you enough for coming on this week and we really appreciate your time and your support and you're welcome on any time at all. And uh, thanks a million for your time. Anytime guys, take it easy.
This week, eight weeks to go until the NFL season, the jam-packed show ahead. Our first guest is the Super Bowl and Grey Cup champion, Brandon London. Brandon, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. I mean, when you say eight weeks left, I mean, it's, it, I just got my hairs on, the, on, the, on my hands and my back and my neck just, you know, just stood up because we've been waiting for, like, you know, football for quite some time and with having reduced fans or even some stadiums not even having fans in uh, the stadiums last year. I know not only from the player standpoint are guys excited, but I know the fans are as well. So I can't wait for the whole kickoff. Yes, sir. And you've obviously been in Europe over the last few weeks as well. Uh, do you have any Irish heritage yourself? And uh, did you get a chance to maybe jump into a couple of those Euros games over in like Munich or anything? No. Uh, I got to watch, uh, I believe it was Italy, Italy, England. I was in uh, Marseille, France for that. I watched it outside of the pub. It was a great time. You know, people were, the Italian fans were really rally, uh, rowdy. Wait, no, no, no. It was Italy versus uh, Spain. Spain. Italy yes. Spain and PKs. Yeah. It was a great time, you know, that environment. And just, you know, being down in the viewport of uh, Marseille. That was awesome. I have no, tie, no ties to Ireland. It's a, a place I do want to visit. I want to go all over the world, man. The world is like an oyster. So. That's another place that I want to go up there. And even before this, I was talking about how I got respect for the hurling players up there. So I would definitely love to come up, check a match out, and even, you know, get out there. And I don't know if they call it the pitch or whatever, but just see, uh, see how I would hold up against those athletes. Well, you're certainly welcome over. Uh, Brian can start <laughs> out with tickets for Croke uh, Park, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll organize a pub tour then uh, afterwards, Brandon. But um. As Michael said in the intro, you are a Super Bowl and a Grey Cup winner. And I'm just interested in, in terms of like, can you talk to us a bit about what makes, you know, teams successful? Obviously, coaching and player ability goes into it. But what's the what's the secret sauce? What brings, uh, you know, winning teams together? Culture. First and foremost, culture. You know, my father is a football, college football coach. Uh, he's been ACC coach of the year. Uh, he's got played in the ACC championship when he was head coach at UVA. Um, one thing that I see from him to my college coach in, uh, in college, uh, Don Brown, to Tom Coughlin, to the Bill Belichick's, to the Mike Tomlin's, it's the culture. You know, Mike Tomlin used to always say, when I was trying to make the team with the Steelers, the standard is the standard. So it's when you go into work, and you know, not only do you know your role and you know what's expected of you, I think that's something that each player buys into. It's easier to buy into rather than playing in an organization with not only chaos within the organization, but chaos within the fan base as well. Chaos within the media that covers that team as well. No one wants a, what they, you know, a media circus when you're playing and you're trying to focus on your next week's opponent and you're trying to take care of business. So, one thing you're seeing with these championship teams, these Andy Reeds and, and Buccaneers, and Bruce Aarons was with Mike Tomlin. He was my, the OC when I was trying to make the team uh, with the Steelers. One thing you see is, is the establishment of culture. Once you see guys buy in, it's, it's just it's, you just go out and you play football. You don't worry about the noise. You just go out and play football. Championship football. And then we've been fortunate to interview ex-Giants and uh, ex-Giants players and current uh, Giants kicker Graham Gano, and they all kind of talk about the privilege of playing for the Giants and the organization. You had your time there. Can you just uh, bring us through what it was like to be a part of the organization? Yeah, you guys talking to guys more famous than me within the Giants organization, you know. And I, I was I was only a practice squad guy there, you know. I didn't I didn't make the fifty three there. I was an undrafted free agent with the, with the Giants. They came to my pro day, Mike Sullivan. Uh, was my receivers coach there at that time. And then the next year, I had a really good training camp, which put me on the team with the Miami Dolphins. So when it, when it comes to that Giants organization, I've been around. I got a chance to be one of those guys who kind of registered it and got to, got to see everything. You know, nothing was expected on me, per se, on the field. I didn't have to catch the game-winning touchdown pass like my Plexico Burris in the Super Bowl. However, I had to be Randy Moss. Twice. I had to get the defense prepared each week. And I looked at it as I had to be T.O. I had to be Joey Galloway on these Donald Driver on these playoff runs. So I look at I looked at it my time with the Giants. I was one of the most important people there, you know, and it was one of those things where I got to see how an Amani Toomer prepared. I got to see how Plaxico 
Plaxico Burris battled injury all year and, and still managed to play at a high level in big games. You, know, you got to see the, the evolution of that defense throughout the year with Steve Spagnola and that defensive line. So when, it, when you see these things, and, and, and then Tom Kaufman, the structure within that. Tom Kaufman used to always say when it comes to the playbook and knowing your assignment, know and know you know. That allows you to play. That allows you so you're not thinking. Everything is reaction, especially when you're playing with a quarterback like Eli Manning, future Hall of Famer, who he knows every, when he comes to the line and he's, his eyes are scanning, you better be seeing the same thing he's seeing. You better be on the same page as him because he's one of those things where that was one of those offenses with Kevin Gilbride that had an answer for everything. You blitz, we got a high for our side. You do sit back we got a check down or we got a, a built-in shift to a check down so it's one of those things where if you want to play at your high level you better understand and know everything that was going on because it's that we need to have this thing as a well-oiled machine i mean you look at it they had a three-headed monster that year they're running back Derek ward Ahmad bradshaw uh uh brendan jacobs and you know what a three and a half or four-headed monster because ruben drones came in throughout the beginning of the year and he was playing well and uh and, and, you know being a red zone back for us so it's one of those things when you when you I got to sit back and you got to look and you got to see and then you go to a Miami Dolphins I wouldn't say it was as structured uh as as the New York Giants but then you go try to make the team with the Steelers and you look at how structured it is then playing with the big Ben and like I said having VA at uh at OC so um yeah, my time with the Giants was definitely a blessing because not only did I get to show what I had on the field, I got to show personality, which is why they brought me back to do TV for them. I'm going in my fifth year with them today. Um, Brandon, you, you alluded there to being a coach's son. So obviously, like the diligence and the work ethic was probably drilled into you from a young age. But I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously, in your time there, you were fighting to make rosters. You were fighting to be that 52nd, 53rd man effectively in the squad. And this time of year, we're talking training camps. We're talking these preseason games where players in your position would have maybe got more of an opportunity to show what you have to try to make the team. How did you find this period of time in your position? How are you approaching this point of the offseason? And how are you, you attacking that? Show up and show out. Every opportunity is your opportunity because you think about a guy like a bubble guy, the roster bubble guys, what I was every year. And there's no, there's no shame for me to, you know, to say that I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, I need to shot. No, I, I got ample amount of shots. And I made, you know, I, I made sure I made, uh, uh, I made, I took advantage of each opportunity. I mean, you're, you're, I was going into, I'll be in the Giants camp and Plaxico was down. You know, with his injury, Amani Tumor would take vet days. I believe Steve Smith was nicked up. Uh, uh, David Tyree was nicked up. So we were talking about four starters already out. I I went with the ones, twos, and threes during that training camp practice. You know, up in, this is up in Albany. So that lets y'all know how old I am. These grades are real. You know, and this is what training camp guys up in Albany. But if I was one of those guys who wasn't ready, I didn't prepare my body throughout the summer. I wasn't ready to take those extra reps. My body was going to break down. One thing that Tom Coughlin, I will always, one phrase he had, and he took this to, I believe, uh, the New York Post one year during training camp. He was like, Brandon Lennon, this is one of those guys that can go. He can go. So I remember having around like, I had like nine, ten catches in practice, and I'm catching balls from Eli in the practice. You know, I'm going ones, come back, come on back, get reps with the twos, come on back, get reps with the threes. And then I had to go and do special teams like that. So I, I understand for some guys who are kind of in that, in my uh, position, trying to make the team or guys that people are like, oh, well, you only get two training camp, uh, two train, uh, preseason games or your know, training camp isn't what it used to be. But they expanded the roster. They expanded the, the practice squad roster. So yeah, you you don't have to maybe go through the dog days that I had to, that I had to, but we were only fighting for a certain amount of spots back then, you know. So I I kind of with the new rules, guys in my situation, I kind of feel bad for them in a sense. But at the same time, I'm like you're a lot more protected. 
than I was. They've got more opportunity in, in you in terms of space and roster spots for you. So you don't – yeah, you still have to make plays, but if if you're a guy where there's a question mark on it, there's no there's like, okay, we got four or five more spots. Let's just keep them to see if he comes around at another time. Ronson, you mentioned your TV work with the Giants there. How do you find that transition in the media? Uh, whew, you still have to have that attention to detail. You know, media, it's, it's and it's one thing, football comes naturally to me. Hanging with the fans, you know, that comes naturally to me. I can talk, my dad had us drawing up cover four when I was four years old. You know, I, I can talk this stuff all day. But one thing when you switch over to, to the media side, you're not the interviewee, you're the interviewer. So you got to have notes, you have to be prepared. And then we're talking about something that where, let's say you're on some like live studio, which I, which I do now for the show I'm on now, Daily Blast Live, which isn't even football. We're talking politics, Kardashian news, all that type of stuff. You know, that's, that's a whole nother world for me in that sense. But you're doing an interview with someone, you got your producer in your ear, you got to wrap them up. And they're a guy that's a long-winded person. And it's like, they're talking about a battle with cancer. You don't want to just cut that person off right there. You have to have something. You have to have an out in your head, 20-second out. 10 second out, a five second out, you know, to get in and out and then make it look effortlessly, uh, effortless, you know. So that transition is no and no, you know, is how I've taken what I know from football, Tom Coughlin, and, and I've applied that to the TV world of things. Detail your work, be confident about yourself, and then just go have fun with it. And I can't see myself doing anything else. Uh, Michael mentioned that, you know, you were in Europe for the past few weeks, but you weren't just enjoying yourself outside bars watching the Euros. You were attending three training or recruitment camps. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And I, and I saw you mention on, on Twitter one, uh, one player in particular, I think is that Hiro Kanu. Can you, uh, can you maybe talk to us a, a little bit about his prospects? Yeah, my buddy, uh, Brandon Collier, who I play with at UMass, uh, he spent a little time in the NFL, CFL, and then went over and played in, in Germany in the GFL. And this is about five, six years ago. He would contact me. And this is the way he talks to me. Like, Elon, there's some kids over here playing with grown men. They're, they look like grown men. Like, that's his voice and everything. I'm like, what are you talking about? Man, you're seeing six, five kids that are 240 that are 16 years old from Sweden and all that. You're like, wow, these kids, they, they passed the eye test. They just need some coaching and all, you know, they're athletes over there. They just need some coaching. So what he does is he runs these camps and he brings, he evaluates these kids, brings the top players over in what he calls the dream chaser tour. And he gets them in front of these American colleges so they can compete against American players. And a lot of these guys are, are getting signed. And you're talking about Hero. He was a guy that during the pandemic, uh, my, my boy, uh, Brendan Collier through PPI, he was you know, trying to work the kid out, and he posted videos. I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sold on the kid, but he was telling me, he was like, he loved, he's going to be a five star. Watch, he's going to have every offer in the country. So we sent him to uh, Santa Margarita, Margarita College, and I mean high school in SoCal, uh, where our friend Anthony Ruzier, he went to college with us as well, and he's the head coach there. And I mean, after two games, this kid was racking up offer after offer after offer. And I'm one of those people. I'm not afraid to sit there and say I stand corrected. So uh, I had a camp in Amsterdam. I had a camp in Marseille, France. I ran a camp in uh, Ingolstadt, Germany. And Hero came and, you know, I had him break it down. About what that, that tour was like. He just came off that tour. And I just got to show these kids with my energy and how I coach. Me being a London father, a head football coach, my brother, a wide receivers coach, my sister, a uh, a woman's uh, professional football player, all-star. It's, it's football to us. The game is something different. It brings out a different energy in me. So to be able to show that to those kids, breaking it down, yelling at them, hey, this is third down. You got to catch that ball. I'm not yelling at you because I don't like you. I'm yelling at you because I want you to get that tape. I want you to show these American colleges that you can play and compete against the Americans. So we had a great turnout. Absolute great turnout. I'm trying to get back over there next next month sometime. 
Uh, and, you know, anyone in Ireland, if there's some, you know, some, some players out there, make sure you reach out to at PPI Recruits, you know, and, and you get that tape. You get these workout videos to Coach uh, Collier and let him evaluate you because he's the plug. He's the guy to know to get your, uh, to get your college football journey kickstarted. Brandon, this uh, offseason in particular has been one of the most intriguing for quite some time. In, in particular, the quarterback situation, the carousel, we've seen Wentz go to the Colts, uh, Sam Darnold to the Panthers, but the three quarterbacks that haven't moved despite uh, numerous speculation, um, Deshaun Watson, uh, Russell Wilson, and then obviously the Aaron Rodgers situation. What have you made of the whole, the whole situation across the board? I look at it as anyone can be traded. I look at it as... Uh, we talk about just three different situations uh, for those guys. You know, I, I, I look at it as I don't think Russ is going anywhere. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is. Let's be honest. And everyone, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is getting a lot of flack because they're like, oh, well, you know, Brett Favre, you know, Brett Favre kind of was the diva when it came to them drafting you, and now you're doing the same thing. Look, that man can do whatever he wants. You know, like, and Russell Wilson can do whatever he wants. Comes to if I feel as though this team is not giving me enough weapons to be my true greatness, to be my true, because they have to be their great self in order to be great for the team. I mean, they're a guy that we're not paying, they're, they don't pay their receivers that much. You got to go out and you got to make a receiver, you know? So we're paying you to make that receiver. So it's one of those things where I understand the fans, you know, the, the loyalty is to the club and all that. Sometimes I just want to tell the fans to shut up, man. Like, just go buy your beer and freaking chair. You know nothing of what you – you know nothing, John Snow. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's these guys, these are two guys that have won Super Bowls for their organization who year after year put up elite numbers year after year, you know? So it's, it's like if they feel as though there's something that we don't know or the fan doesn't know behind the scenes – yeah, you know, I, I'm not a big guy to air out that your grievance publicly and all, but at the same time, them doing that is putting pressure on the club. There has to be pressure on the club and organization. Otherwise, it's your message doesn't get out there because you got these beat, some of these beat writers or, or bloggers or something. You know, I, I love everybody to death, but all that clickbait out there, man, like it's so much clickbait out there to where it's like these people are getting their their information from 160 characters on, on Twitter, on a social media site. They're not going in and reading about what things truly mean or, or what was said on the Aaron Rodgers side or whatever. They're just highlighting, you know, the Rodgers upset in Green Bay. It could have been upset because it's another, it's snowing again, but that's all, you know, that's all they're going to put. Oh, he's being a baby. Oh, he's, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I think sometimes players doing this, calling out the organization or standing firm is allowing the true fans to really understand, hey, our leader, hey, our guy that's brought me multiple, uh, has brought me a Super Bowl, great memories, and probably even put some money in your pocket because you're betting on your team. Our guy isn't happy here. What can we do as an organization to keep him here? Because we want that guy in our locker room. Um. Brandon, I mean, moving away a little bit from the quarterbacks, obviously the wide receivers, you know, your position. The cool um, guys, yeah. The cool guys in the room, you know, who maybe have had a reputation of being a diva from time to time in the past as well. But the performance of a wide receiver obviously isn't just down to the individual player. It depends on the quarterback you got. It depends on how much time the O-line's given him. It depends on the scheme. I mean, um, thinking last year, DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona, everyone was excited to see what he'd do in Cliff Kingsbury scheme, who's a former Montreal Alouette like yourself, actually, as well. So, you know, um, the connections are everywhere. But thinking of all of those things and the variables that exist, and I know with your work in the Giants, you might be tempted to say Kenny Golladay to this, but what couple of wide receivers you got your eye on, whether the new boys coming in, obviously, some great talents in the first round of the draft, or maybe someone who's getting the change of scenery that you really feel, and we'll continue the Game of Thrones reference, are going to go Dracaris and blow fire over everyone uh, all the way around. So before I jump in, before I go into that, I got to address the diva thing because you said that we have all these variables that have to happen for us to get the ball. And if we don't even at least get the ball thrown to us, people are like, oh, what's he? He's nothing. He's not. You can be wide open, 
and you got a bad quarterback, bad line, let's not pick it up. Is an underthrown ball, and then you got one of those corners who's beat that just goes all, all game long. You know what I'm saying? So, like I teach my receivers that I work with, you got to have what y'all call Diva in y'all. You got to have Kanye in you because if you only touch the ball three times, you're expected to change the game after touching the ball only three times. So, those variables are, are allowing us to be divas because if I'm a guy like a Julio Jones and Odell, I'm getting the hot, the big buck. If I don't produce it, if I don't have the numbers, people are going to be online with the Twitter fingers. You know what I'm saying? So you have to have that confidence in yourself. So to go to part two of your question, um, I really cannot wait. You know, I'll, I'll stay away from I'll stay away from Giants uh, in that sense. You know, obviously I want to see Kenny, Kenny Galladay have a day, but I really want to see. Uh, I. I want to see Odell back, man. I want to, I want to, I want to see a healthy Odell back because a healthy Odell is great not only for the Browns but the league. I mean, let's be the guy is exciting to watch. You know, I have, I've been watching him since his days. You know, with the Giants and all. Although the the Bears' proposal to the net and all that, some of that stuff is like, my bro, like, okay. but he's very uh, exciting to watch. Um, AJ Brown in Tennessee, because I believe this is, he is now, the spotlight is on him now. He's one of those guys that, you know, he wants to get paid, and and, and I believe that, and, and everyone was talking about, if he had that type of targets that a lot of other receivers had, he would definitely, he would, he would be a beast. So, I would like, now you got, you throw in Julio with the, like, that's going to be dangerous, you know, and you have a running game. The Titans' offense is going to be absolutely dangerous. Um, last but not least, you know what? Let's stay with the Giants on this one. Evan Ingram. I am. I am. I. I, I think with obviously, you know, everyone's saying, "Oh, he drops a lot. He gets a lot of flack." And yeah, he's. he's there are times where you know, I. I these gray hairs are, are there, but I, I. I look at the way he carries himself week by week in practice and he just keeps trying to get better keep trying to get better i'm not i'm not ready to write evan ingram off because of his type of talent and now that he doesn't have to be a number one per se you know at or 1a or 1b you can really use him as a mismatch now and maybe that breeds more confidence in him i can see evan ingram possibly having you i'm a people i think i'm crazy 800 plus yards this year just because of the mis- mismatch uh, uh, that he could be, so that's a guy. And my eye, my eyes are my eyes are really on Evan Ingram this year for sure. Sure, and and actually, just coming back to your diva point, Brandon, I just always think of Larry Fitz and Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. You're saying he doesn't, you know, have all that, and he's had people like John Skelton and Drew Stanton thrown to him. So it's kind of almost more remarkable what he's got up to yeah, over there. But there's more than one way to there's more than one way to, to skin a cat, you know? Like you don't and receiver, you don't have to be the flashy guy. You don't have to be the loud guy. It's just like you don't have to be the speed guy. You can be the possession guy. You can be the deep threat. You know what I'm saying? So it's just there's so many different personalities in football. And Fitzgerald is someone that I, I grew up idolizing in college. I even tried to grow the, the twist, the, the grades that he had. Mine didn't come out right, so I had to cut it. But I also idolized T.O. because of the way T.O. worked and his work ethic. And I love that whole, let's go, you know, like get me the, get me the, uh, the freaking ball, you know. So I, I get what you're saying, but, you know, I'm trying to take that stick, that diva comment away for when it comes to the QBs of the divas. <laughs> Probably try and nab a question more each year, Brandon, before we go. But my one is more on the... Uh, the growth of the game over here. Have you been able to catch much of the London games? Have you been to a London game? I'm not sure. I'm presuming you know Jeff Reinbold. I will see your time in the CFL as well. He's the main guy over here now for Sky Sports. But the growth of the game over here really is something to be admired, isn't it? Yeah, man. It's It really is. I've been over there twice. You know, my rookie year, we played in Wembley Stadium uh, when I was with the Giants. That was back when, I mean, we were playing on that soccer pitch and it rained a little bit. Everyone was sliding and all. But that, that right there was just, so awesome. We got to go to Cabo to uh, training grounds to go train. And I'm a Chelsea guy, so that was pretty cool to go do that. 
We also came back my first year when I was doing TV with the Giants, and we played in a Tookum Stadium, you know, and um, and I, I, you know, I got the Giants back to play there. So I've been over there twice. I reach out to OC every year because he knows that I want to do TV over in London. I want to either whether or I'm thinking about trying to learn German and maybe going over and start doing some games and uh, start doing some TV over in Germany. Or if I have to learn French, I'll go to France. I'm going to find a way to do NFL TV overseas in Europe and all. And uh, Coach Ryan Bold was with the Alouettes. When I was there, I used to call him Coach Wavy. Uh, he's another guy I try to reach out to every year. But, you know, I, it's, it, I really want to do NFL football over there, especially since I'm going over there doing the – the high school football thing, the recruiting aspect inside of it. I just want everything to come together, you know, tie in, in into one thing. But you know, I, I don't worry about my I don't worry about my career. You know, I work hard to put my hands in to do uh, more and more. I'm not worried about it. But OC, bring me over, OC. London and London. Come on, J Bell. Come on now. Come on. Well, we, we've been fortunate to have uh, Jason on, on the show a, a couple of times. And uh, yeah, I think yeah, you'd be a, a wonderful addition there. And learning German, I think, is a, is a smart move, Brandon, with the, the growth of the game. But um, I am interested in, you know, we, we talk in business about the concept of going from good to great and, and making the leap. Outside of the Giants, uh, you know, Daniel Jones entering year three, there is that narrative and Brian, Brian might come to that. But interested in your take around the league, who do you see as the teams that can maybe go from good to great? Hmm. Off the top of my head. I, the Rams. Rams are one. You know, I, I think Matthew Stafford could get them past that hump. Huh? I mean, you're looking at that deep. Anytime you got a defense like that, man, anytime, and I'm a defensive guy, I come from a defensive family. So I, I actually grew up, I ended up wanting to be a corner safety. Anytime you, I, I believe in this league, defense and championships. And I think that a, a Rams team could match up against a Chiefs or a Bucks. You just, against a team like that, not only do you have to have that defense, you got to have a quarterback that can make that throw. That one or two throws in a game, we're all like, oh, wow. That third and 13, he kept the chains going, and then you hand it off to that back. You know, he, he does what he, what he has to do. I think another team, good to great. Um, I want to see the Browns. I, I, I really – I know people hate Baker Mayfield, but I'm a flash – I am a guy – I am one of those flashy guys. I, I, I think their offense is so fun to watch while they're clicking. And it's a thing because Nick, Nick Chubb is a dog, you know. And then you throw in your scat back Kareem Hunt with that, and you have two talented receivers on the outside. I, I, I just love I'm a big Austin Hooper guy as well. I just love the way that offense can gel and get going. Uh, and I think last but not least, I would say, boom. I kind of, you mentioned the Arizona Cardinals. I, I got my eye on them as well. You know, I look at D-Hop, I look at Kyler Murray. Those guys are winners. They can be winners. And I look at Cliff Kingsbury and what that offense brings to the table. You know, we played against the Cardinals, um, and I've seen what that offense can do. I've seen what Kyler Murray can do. And he's, such, he's, he's one of those talents where you look at it, and I understand he's one of those guys, oh, you may not be that tall, and you may not be that pure throw. Guys are winners. Guy can win, and the guy can lead, and I've gotten to see that being on the sidelines, you know, pregame for Giants game, and sometimes uh, uh, during the Giants game, and you just see the way he not only commands the huddle, but he commands that that leadership. And and anytime you have a guy, your decision maker is not only confident in himself, has a great relationship with the, the head coach OC, but also has the respect of his teammates. Those guys will run through a brick wall for him. And that only just makes you play, if you're a B-minus player, that makes you bump yourself up to a solid B player because you understand it's, it's not about me. It's about playing for that, not only that guy next to you, but that our leader as well. So I see the Cardinals also taking, taking a, a leap as well. Just stay away from the Giants. Well, Brandon, I'm a Giants fan, so I'm going to finish with my last question again on the Giants. But in particular, Eli Manning, we've seen recently that he's returned 
to work within the organization. He's going to go into the ring of honor in week three against the Falcons, who he threw his fourth touchdown against back in the day. But uh, you've had the opportunity to work with him just in terms of the insights, what he's like off the field. And uh, will he go into Canton at some stage? And he's one of those guys where he's, 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 he's all business. So you respect him as a leader. You respect him because he's a guy who, who works his craft. But he also has personality. He also can loosen up. You know, if you think about it, at the end of the day, with all the complexities of this game, it's still a game. You know, I, I tell you, I, we say it all the time. You get a, a king to ransom to play a child's game. So at the end of the day, you're still playing with guys who are elite athletes but don't even like football. There are a lot of guys in the NFL that don't even like football. It's just you're so good at it and the money is that good that it's like you, you have to play that. So to be able to not only connect with guys like that and to lead guys like that, you have to have some sort of about you. You know, you have to have some sort of coolness about you. And you see the videos, you see the behind the scenes, social media videos, Eli joking around in the locker room, putting pranks on to guys, joking around with his offensive line. He's always takes care of his offensive line. Even though the Giants offensive line throughout, you know, throughout the last recent years, we can say hasn't been as strong as what it was back in those his, his glory days, his heydays. You never saw him throw him under the bus. You never, you never saw you. you Never see him get down on them in the locker room or in front of teammates or, or whatever. There's one thing if he's commanding, you know, accountability from a guy, as he should, but he's always still been one of those guys who would still jump on that grenade for a guy, you know, or he'd still be there, still not so much joking around with one of his linemen, but trying to get him and get out of your head. At the end of the day, I need you playing with confidence. So um, with him being bringing back for business stuff with the Giants, and then the, uh, I think another one of his titles is like a director of fan engagement. I'm like, wait a minute, I do fan engagement. So does that mean I got to like report to Eli when I get into the into the, the facility? But I've always thought it'd be cool to like be on the phone with somebody. Like, hold on, hold on, I gotta go to Eli's office real quick. I'll be back real quick. I'll be back. You know, I think that'd be the ultimate flex to do that. Like, mom, I'll I'll talk to you in a little bit while I'm going to Eli's office. Let her know our baby boys made it in the world, you know. So, uh, but I, I wish that guy nothing but the best, man. And even when they did bring me back um, in 2016 uh, to do Giants TV, God, he was, and I'm walking, you know, and he kind of like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, I, I heard we brought you back, man. Congratulations, you know, like you didn't really do anything for us on the field, but, you know, it was off the field, they brought you back and all like that, you know, kind of joking around, but. You know, he's, it's just one of those guys where I'm, I don't have to, I don't have to see how he's like, you know, through the media. I get to see firsthand or I've gotten to see firsthand that personality. So I can attest for that personality in that position. Uh, Brandon, I just want to say like on behalf of all of us, like thank you so much for your time and your insights, whether it's your, the coaching in your family, your experiences as a player, and obviously your time now in the media, whether in the US or in Europe uh, in the future, uh, please God. Um, great to hear from you. Great to thank you. Very grateful for your time. Can I just ask Brandon, uh, what's your Twitter handle or anything if people over here want to follow you and get your insights on the game? Uh, at Brandon London TV. I haven't been real heavy on social media the last uh, couple months, but once football season kicks back in, I'm going to go back into it, dive right back into it. Kind of during daytime, doing daytime TV and live TV and talking about like, you know, social injustices and the wrongs and all that stuff, it kind of weighs in on you to where it's like, I don't even want to look at, you know, social media from time to time. But football has always been, you know, not only a love for me, but it's been an escape for me as well. So I'm definitely going to use, you know, my time with the Giants this year to connect with more people, see how many people I can help, how many podcasts and things. I can jump on and uh, I want to thank and thank you guys, you know, and guys like you who do it because, you know, like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of clickbait out there, man, in a sense, and it's taken away from the game in its purest form, you know, and it's taken away from that connection from player to fan. So guys like you, like bringing in, you know, current players, former players and allowing them to, you know, talk directly. 
maybe these some guys won't give you everything when it comes to something that should be in-house, but at least, you know, that player, because not everyone's going to be on ESPN to get to talk about what's truly going on with the team. So giving that player that, 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 that platform to get direct to the fans really want to know the nitty and gritty, not want to just, you know, click on something and, you know, clickbait type of get their information via clickbait so they can go on their blogs and, oh, well, I heard that, blah, blah, blah. Like, ah, go, go away, bro. Like, you go away. Bro. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys, you know. That's a very, very kind comments there, Ron, and you know, we, we all massively appreciate it as well. And look, you're welcome on. You're welcome anytime. Feel free. Brian would love to have you on after, say, a few weeks in the Giants season. But uh, thanks so much for coming on for now, Brian, and we will chat to you again soon. Thank you.